What's up, guys? I'm Shannon Moore, and tonight I get to sit down with Patrick Myers. Patrick Myers is CEO of Healthcare Connection of Tampa. Healthcare Connection of Tampa is a drug and alcohol rehabilitation center that helps people change their lives for the better. We get to hear Patrick's story on how he went from jail to CEO of Healthcare Connection. What's up, Patrick? Like Here we are. We've been talking about this for a while. Um, I was talking to you whenever I decided that I think I would start doing a podcast with all the cool podcasts out there. And uh, I asked you then, like at some point, if I could have you on here. And um, here you are, man. You're, you're here live, in person. And uh, you, you got a pretty interesting story that I think everybody's going to enjoy, I guess, hearing a little bit of experience, strength, and hope, and uh, some of the stories from the life of Patrick Myers. Patrick, um, man, let these people know who you are. Like, who is Patrick Myers? Man, that's a really good question. Um, just the luckiest guy to have more than he ever deserved, chances he didn't expect, friends that I always wanted. Just a lucky guy, you know? Did the right thing after a while, and it worked out pretty well. Just got to keep doing it and seeing what comes next. So um, the way I met you, Patrick, um, you know, obviously a lot of people, they know that I've, I've had my dark past of uh, drug use and substance abuse and um, a little bit too much partying. And uh, whenever I finally reached out to help, I remember there was a guy that picked me up, and that guy was you. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, because I, I was sent, WWE, like, they've had a working relationship with your company, with uh, Healthcare Connection. And, um, you know, that's the first time that I heard about your company. And, um, you know, your company, like, it it was, it was you bought your company, if, if that's correct. And that's what, because the story kind of starts with your father, who's a, a legend, in the industry of, um, I guess, rehab facilities or however you want to, you know, I don't know the correct terminology of what uh, what you would say there, but like, tell us a little bit about your dad and uh, how you ended up, I guess, becoming part of Healthcare Connection before we get into your story. All right. Well, we got to take it back a bit then. Uh, Mom and dad got divorced when I was four. Last time I saw dad when I was seven. And... Um, you know, growing up my whole life, my mom told me stories and, you know, they were all pretty much, you know, horror stories. And, you know, I got this idea of somebody that was just crazy. And uh, fast forward a long time and I'm in college and the Internet's kicking and emails are kicking. And one day I get an email from a dude saying he's my dad and that he just wanted to see how I was doing, making sure I was OK. I have no idea how he found me. I mean, I was all the way in Texas, and he's living in Tampa. Where, where did you go to college at? <laughs> so there's a school in Texas called Sam Houston State University. That's where you go to school if you don't get into the other big schools in Texas. Uh, it's a party school. It's a, you know, I think they pretty much accept anybody who applies type school. Uh, so I was over in uh, Huntsville, Texas, uh, same city they have death row in Texas. So we were literally three blocks away from death row. Um, hearing the bells, hearing the calls, hearing the, the counts. Uh, so, yeah, I was going to college in Huntsville, Texas. That's awesome. Um, so you're in college, and all of a sudden you get this uh, strange email probably <laughs> at the time um, 
from a man who's uh, basically saying he's your dad? Yeah, pretty much, man. You know, it took me a, took me a couple of days to find out if this was like some kind of hacker, find out if this was some kind of scam, find out what was going on. But it all it all like looked legit. And then it took me a couple more days to figure out if I wanted to say anything. You know, at that moment, you know, I was in college. I was, you know, this was already past my my real bad stint of addiction and abuse. So I was just trying to do the right thing. I was studying. I was uh, trying to make it work. So I had to decide, you know, if I wanted to, you know, introduce this unknown element back into my life that I hadn't heard of or seen of in a long time. I was probably 22 at the time when all this went down. So you said, like, whenever you got this email, this was a point where you had already went through the the rough part of, you know, what what your story is and how your story, especially from a, I guess, an experience strength uh, standpoint, like, I guess this, you said that you had already been through your dark days whenever this happened? Yeah, you know, I'd already been through all my dark days. This was pretty close to the end of the stint. You know, my whole run ended with, you know, some legal consequences, some jail time. And this was, you know, after all that, this was really when I started trying to apply myself, trying to better myself, trying to figure out what I was going to do the rest of my life. I mean, I was really just maturing for the first time and growing up a little bit and being responsible. So yeah, I was in a I was in a good place. I was trying to make things work, and yeah, man, I get this email, and it took me probably about two weeks to respond, and uh, I did, you know, because what I came to what I came to realize was, this guy, you know, my dad, besides all his mistakes, besides everything he'd done in his life, you know, he was still my dad, and there's nothing worse, I don't think, than being a parent and not knowing what's going on with your kids. And I didn't want this guy to die not knowing that his kids were okay, knowing that I was okay, knowing that I was making it work. So I responded just to not have him have a resentment or have a concern or just, you know, have something that he just wasn't sure of. So I just wanted to give him, you know, tell him that I was okay, tell him I was making it work. I did tell him, man, when I first, when I emailed him, I was like, hey, look, let's, let's make, let's get a phone call, you know. This is, email's cool and all that, but, you know, you're my dad. I haven't talked to you in a long time. Well, I haven't talked to you ever. So let's get a phone call. So we made a phone call. I'm probably about 10 minutes into it. You know, I'm already freaking spilling my guts and telling him everything about my life. And I told him, I was like, hey, you know, I uh, I uh, got in trouble, man. You know, I started using, using drugs, started hanging out with the wrong people, got pretty deep into it, got in trouble, went to jail. And the first thing he said to me was, because then I was expecting him to be like, you know, ashamed or, you know, just embarrassed. But the first thing he said was, of course he did. He's like, I knew that was going to happen. You're my son. And with, uh, with, with you talking about like, uh, you know, getting in trouble, like, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that's a, that's a pretty amazing part of your story. I know like, uh, me and you, the conversations we've had, like from the time that, you know, whenever I, I, I come into treatment myself, um, your story, like, tell us a little bit about your story whenever you were out there and you, you know, you wasn't doing too well. Just for, you know, people that's listening that's had those days that, you know, maybe there's some hope for them that they can change their ways, even if they've gotten in trouble and they can turn things around and be successful. Well, you know, it was a, uh, it was it's a tough thing to, to really explain because, you know, part of it is the most fun part of my whole life, right? Because, you know, the beginning of it, it's a freaking, it's a blast. Totally, total irresponsibility, total self-centeredness, total, 
disregard for anything but yourself and just having fun and doing what you want to do. So that part was a freaking, that was great. You know, I was having the best time of my life. But that quickly changes, you know. Uh, things be, start repeating themselves, you know, friends start getting in trouble, friends start going away. So it all started really, man, I was a late bloomer. It started actually when I first went to college. Uh, this is before, you know, this last stint I just told you about. So when I first went to college, you know, I'd been sheltered my whole life. My mom being married to a drug addict, alcoholic, you know, she'd always sheltered me and told me, don't drink, don't ever drink, you know, drinking's, you know, your father's an alcoholic, so you sure can't drink. And I, I listened to her. I was like, all right, cool, you know, whatever. I, I, I don't really think alcohol is my thing anyway, so you know what? But then when I went to college, you know, I got introduced to, you know, like weed, and then I got introduced to, like, you know, stimulants to help you stay up and study or just to help you stay up and have fun. And then, you know, we started taking these things called mini thins, which are straight ephedrine pills. And, man, you know, I, I really found something that, that I took a liking to. So, so you know, you, with the weed, like, you know, weed, like, it kind of lays you back, kind of. I know, like, I, I've pretty much, you know, ran the, uh, the gauntlet on uh, substances I shouldn't have been doing. Um, so I guess you found yourself uh, being the uh, the guy that likes to uh, go as fast as possible and do as much fast as possible, right? Well, absolutely. But, you know, the thing about weed was, you know, smoking weed made me break the law. And, you know, smoking weed just made me not scared to do other things. So I didn't really enjoy weed. It wasn't my deal. But weed kind of just let me get past that barrier of fear of trying to do something that's illegal, trying to do something that I know I'm not supposed to do. So once I did weed for a little bit, yeah, man, I, I, got, stu- I got stuck on the stimulants and um, it got pretty out of control. You know, it got, po- it got out of control to the point where I didn't go to class one day an entire semester. Like, I just didn't go to class. I just stayed with my friends. We partied. When my friends decided to go study, I went and found another group of friends and hung out with them. And before you know it, I found somebody that also liked what I was into, and we started making trips to Houston literally every freaking day, which is about an hour and a half drive. And, um, you know, me and this one guy, we started going to the clubs in Houston, and we started going to the after-hours clubs in Houston, and we started meeting people in Houston. Before you know it, we're not going back to school. You know, we're coming down to Houston. We're staying there for four or five days. We're staying there for two, three weeks. We're staying there for a month or two. And we just got, you know... We got um, connected to some people that had been doing it before us. And for whatever reason, we all got along and they introduced us to their people. And before you know it, we're right in the middle of it. You know, we're, uh, we're watching, we're, we're making, we're watching a lot of dope go around. And, you know, we're helping people get dope. And before you know it, we're hooking up people with dope. And before you know it, we're setting up deals for dope. And then we're carrying dope. And it just turned into a freaking turn into a lifestyle yeah because i mean if you're in college you're trying to figure things out you're trying to figure out okay like what am i going to do with my career like how am i going to make the most money then all of a sudden like you see this easy way just to capitalize on something that you know you don't have to put too much work or you know like manual labor into i guess um and you know you you reap those benefits immediately as cash and before you know it i'm sure like you could start affording you know, things that you normally couldn't and having the times, you know, the best times that you couldn't have before because you have, you know, the finances and you're around all these amazing people and the partying and the, and like, it, I could see where it gets out of control pretty quick. Um, you know, I'll tell you, man, I remember I was sitting at my friend's house. This was a house in Houston where 
all of us used to hang out. It was pretty. It was like a flop house, you know, pretty much. But it was nice because you know we kept it clean. And but it was just all drug addicts, drug addicts and drug dealers. And I was sitting at a table, and I was you know had my dope and was getting my dope all ready. And I had you know four other people at the table, and they were all doing their deal. We're all getting ready for the day. And I remember stopping everybody. I was like, all right, guys, hold up. This is the best it's ever going to get. We've got to keep doing this the rest of our lives. You know, I had decided at that moment and at that time in my life that that was what I wanted to do with my life. I had no concept of, you know, repercussions or no concept of who I was hurting or who I was letting down or even, you know, the, the feasibility of doing something like that for a long term, you know, just for my body, for my mind, for my soul. You know, I just but I do remember just being so convinced that that's exactly what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And, you know, looking back on it now, it's crazy time. You know, I look back at that now, and I'm like, that's the last thing I want to do. So it's just interesting that, you know, when you're, when you're in something so deep, it can just become so real to you that it becomes your reality. It becomes what you want to do forever. But then when you get away from it for a long enough time, and you get to look back, you realize that it was just, it was, it was BS. You know, it was just, it was, just uh, it was a, a fantasy that we had created and a delusion of reality. And uh, we didn't really care who we were hurting at the time. Well, and, you know, something that I always think about is I think about, you know, like all the money that I've spent like <laughs> just, you know, like partying, like and especially being in, you know, professional wrestling. Like I was pretty fortunate to make some good money. And uh, I was, you know, unfortunately, like I spent a lot more than I made, um, you know, doing that stuff, man, like partying it up. Um at any point, like, and I know, like, I've talked to several people that's been in the game whenever it comes to, like, mm -hmm. I guess selling dope and stuff. Was there any point that you ever thought about, like, man, I'm making all this cash, like, maybe I should invest it. <laughs> like, did, you never hear those stories, but you hear all these stories about people making so much money and owning, you know, like, cars and houses, and then before you know it, it's gone. Um, but, like, it just seems like everybody... You know, they want that long-term gain uh, in, in that type of thing. But then, you know, before they can put the money back and stuff, they live this lifestyle. And then all of a sudden, it's just all gone because they end up getting busted. They end up in prison or they end up dead. Um, did you ever think about anything about like that? Like, you know, like doing it for a while, investing, and then getting out of the game? No. No, we were, we were, I was paranoid of everything. I, I was paranoid to put money in a bank account because I didn't want the IRS to start asking me where I started getting this money from. So no, man, we never had any intention of doing anything like investing it or starting anything. You know, I looked, I look back and I got a few friends that ended off, you know, they went spun off and they're now professional DJs and they're, they're clean and they're making it work. I got another set of friends that are part of this art movement in Houston and they're clean and they're making it work. So a few people spun off and you know, they still stayed in what I would consider the scene, but they stayed sober in it, and they're doing their own thing, making livings, doing it that way. But no, back then, man, we were we were we were living by the seat of our pants. You know, every day was was all we expected. You know, we never expected to, we never looked forward enough to really think about what we could do with what we had. Because you're right, man. You know, when you when you're making money and you 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 don't have a whole lot of expenses. Yeah, you know, we all could have put our money somewhere smarter. We'd probably all be doing better off now. For a long time, you know, I kept on joking about how nice it would be to have every penny I ever spent on dope in one room just to have all the money back because it'd be insane. Um, but no, back back in the day, man, we were all we were concerned about was having fun. All we were concerned about was making sure we were all, you know, together and doing our thing. 
and just making sure everybody had enough dope that they, that they would be okay. But no, we never thought about freaking, we never thought about, I wasn't even sure I was going to live past 25. You know, I, a lot of people say that's a joke, but I remember very clearly thinking that if I made it to 25, I was going to be lucky because I was running hard, staying up long, long times, not eating much at all, not drinking much at all. So. Well, you know, like um, living that lifestyle, like it, it's an unhealthy lifestyle, you know, partying, especially whenever you're up for days and weeks. Um, but, you know, like people think about that, like you think about the OD factor, mm-hmm. in it, but like you got to think about how dangerous it is, too, especially whenever you're, you know, you're running the streets and you're dealing and some <laughs> of the dangerous people that you're dealing with, if you're moving that type of weight or um, did you ever have any kind of run-ins with people where you thought that that day had come where uh, it's over, like I'm getting ready to be taken out, you know, by yeah. these people? Well, you know, we had a couple of those, but you know, when it all started, man, it all started pretty easy because all my friends were just, you know, easygoing, easy people, just wanted to have fun. But I remember one night, man. I remember we were at we we're at this club in Houston, an after-hours club, and we're just there with all my friends, and we see these two guys that walked in we didn't recognize. And uh, we, I knew immediately what they wanted to do. You know, they're coming in to, to take a piece of the property, you know, start hustling in the club with us. But they were different. You know, they, these, guys, these guys were packing heat. These guys were rough. And it's, I remember telling people that very night, I'm like, nothing's going to be the same moving forward. And sure enough, man, when these two cats came in, they started, you know, being a little more aggressive, kind of like gang mentality. Other people started coming into the scene, and uh, before you know it, dude, my whole group of friends that were peace-loving and just having fun, they weren't even going out anymore. My new set of friends were all jacking gas stations, hustling, you know, robbing other drug dealers, um, you know, counterfeit credit cards, counterfeit everything. And, what, kind uh, of, what kind of time period are we talking here? Like, how long was you in this, like, pretty deep to the point, you know, right bef- before it come crashing down and you end up, you know, suffering from a legal standpoint? Um, how long do you think you were part of the game right here? About five years. Yeah, about five years. You know, but five years for, for a stimulant addict is the same thing as 10 years for a regular person because we don't sleep. You know, yeah. where other people stay up for 12 hours a day, we stay up for 24. So, yeah, it was about five years, but we got into it deep and fast. You know, for whatever reason, we just met certain people that, you know, were the right people to meet the time, and they took a liking to us, and we were pretty cool with them. So before you know it, they're introducing us to their people. So, you know, we, we got a lot deeper into it than we probably could have under normal circumstances. But, you know, things just lined up the way they did and we met the right people. So Was there ever a moment, like, whenever, you know, you're hustling, you guys are out there, you're at the clubs where maybe you lost one of your friends or somebody close to you to the game and, it, you know, you had that thought of, like, man, I, maybe I should step away from this. No, man, <laughs> there was never a moment that I thought that I should step away from it no matter how bad it got. You know, I just rotated friends. Yeah, man, we lost we lost friends. You know, we lost a lot of people. We lost a lot couple people. So we, I had this guy named uh, named John, and he was my first heavy connect. You know, this guy was this guy was a few levels above where I ever should get to, and um, he he for whatever reason we got to talking one night over cigarettes and lighters, and I took him to the gas station to go buy some cigarettes, and after that he took me back to his crib and showed me what he's got, and from then on he was my guy. And, uh, you know, he made some enemies. He made some mistakes. He had to leave the state of Texas for a couple of years. Uh, then one day I'm back in Houston and I'm out at the club and I see him just showed up one night out of, out of nowhere, knowing everything that had gone into the past and people he had pissed off. But he was back and uh, he started running and gunning again, started working with the same people he pissed off and they killed him. 
So we're, you know, we're to the point now where you got your, you know, your own little, I guess, uh, your own business running, your own little enterprise. Um, <laughs> now, leading up to the legal consequences, was this something that just happened like overnight or was this something that, you know, they started putting the eyes on you and, um, you know, like leading up to that, like how did that all go down to where you started seeing that, oh shit, like it's getting ready to get for real. Like I, I think they're on to me. Well, there was a few things that happened earlier on, you know, I'm probably about three years into it, maybe, you know, I had a few friends that got popped and they got, they got sent to, to the sheriff's office and the sheriff starts showing them photos of people they wanted to ask questions about. And apparently one of my photos was in part of that pile of photos, me and all my friends. So, you know, we always got, we always got word that stuff was happening. Then we always had, you know, we had some undercover cops that would show up at the club and we knew who they were and they'd always follow us around and start talking to us and then we just made fun of them and just, we treated it like a game not knowing how serious it really was. But, um, you know, there was little things that, that were happening then a few friends always, we always had a friend or two that got popped, you know, and sometimes it'd be small, you know, misdemeanor possession, but we had a few friends that got, you know, big sentences and got sent away for years and years and years and friends I'll never see again. We had a one guy we had this one guy, I'm going to call him John. And uh, John was an old school cat. He was there. He was part of the game before I got there. And um, I got to know him. He started coming over to my house. You know, we became friends. And then one night he came to the club and he got popped outside the club. You know, he got arrested first. He got arrested for possession of controlled substances outside the club. And we're like, man, he's, he's going away for a minute because this guy's got a criminal record. And um, he got bailed out the same day. He came out to the club again the next night, and he got popped again the next night at the club again. Same place, same thing. And uh, he went away for a long time. Uh, he ended up showing up at my house one day, probably about 10 years later, just to say hi and see what was going on. But, you know, we always had friends that, you know, got caught here and there. It's kind of like fishing, you know? You know, yeah. there's a hook in the water, and somebody's going to get caught on the hook, but you just hope it's not you. So was, there, was it one incident that, that like... I guess took you down like for good, like that made you go, okay, like this is over. Um, yeah. You know. So uh, January third, two thousand. I mean, I can tell you the day. It was three days after the millennium. I'd still, I was still awake. I'd probably been awake for a week. And um, January third, two thousand. I was at the club. It was, uh, it was a, it was an odd day. It was like a Wednesday or Thursday. I can't remember, but it was a day that was kind of slow. So it was me and my girlfriend at the time were at the club and we're just hanging out. I'm trying to hustle, make a little bit of money and there's nothing really going on. So we leave the club early. It's probably around three, four in the morning. And uh, I got a, I got an expired inspection sticker in my car in Texas. And, you know, in Texas, you got to have these inspection stickers to make sure your car passes smog. And my sticker was my sticker was expired. And I couldn't get a new one because I had a traffic warrant. You know, it's just one of those rope de dopes and uh, I'm leaving the club at three in the morning and the cop pulls me over for a, uh, an expired sticker. I've got a warrant out for some kind of traffic violation. Puts me in the back of his car, starts searching my car and I start flipping out. Cause I know I've got dope in my glove box and I've got dope in my hiding spot. And uh, I start flipping out, crying, you know, just the whole, the whole gambit. And uh, as soon as he pulls up that dope, as soon as he finds the dope in the glove box, I calm down. Because I knew it was all over. Everything was done from that moment forward, and I chill out. I chilled out. So that was it. So that was the, you knew it was over at that point. And um, you know, like I'm, I'm sure, like all legal situations, whenever you start hiring lawyers and trying to figure out if you're going to jail, if you're going to get out of it, or whatever, I'm sure you had to spend some money right there to uh, to try and come out of this best as possible. 
Yeah, um, yeah I did. But, you know, when I, it was the, the most amazing part of it all, Shannon. You know, one of the things I'll never forget is I was in jail probably my, on my second or third day. And I knew the charges at this point, and I knew that I was going to get, you know, I was going to have to go for a plea deal because there's no other way around it. I, I knew that, I knew what was coming. And I was talking to my girlfriend at the time on the phone, and she's like, you know, we're trying to bail you out. We're trying to do this. We're trying to do that. And I told her, I was like, I'm good. I'm like, I am so good right now. I'm, I told her, I was like, I never, I haven't felt this good in a long time because the running was over. The paranoia was over. All my secrets were out. You know, I didn't have to live the lie anymore. I mean, for the first time, I felt peace in years. And, uh, man, of course I was scared. You know, you're looking at jail. You don't know what's going to happen. You hear all these horror stories about it. But uh, I felt good. You know, for the first time, I, I, it, was my first, it was my first experience with true surrender. Yeah. You know, at that moment, I had surrendered everything. And I was freaking relaxed. It was the best feeling I've had in, in ever. It's, it's crazy, like, how, you know, like, once, uh, I know for me, like, once I landed in treatment and that first night, like, laying down in the bed, just that feeling of, like, oh, man, like, I can breathe. Like, there's nothing, like, I I'm good now. Like, you know, there's nothing gonna take me out. There's nothing gonna, like, come get me. Nobody's gonna arrest me. Like, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good right where I'm at. Like, it, you know, I guess that's that bottom that... You know, everybody talks about an AA um, that most people have to hit before they're ready to uh, to get help or decide to change their life. Um, oh. It's just a big relief um, at that point. Uh, how how long did you did you stay in jail? It was only six months. Uh, so I had a felony possession charge in the state of Texas. They have this 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 law. I couldn't tell you what it is right now, but I used to have it memorized. It's something where you get a felony conviction, but you do misdemeanor time. So I got a felony, possession of controlled substance, got six months of, of jail, hung out in the Harris County jail system, got transferred up to another jail for a bench warrant I had. But uh, for the most part, I was in the Harris County Houston jail for, uh, for six months. And brother, it was the best time of my life. Man, so whenever, okay, so, you know, you're, you're in the game, you're out of the game, now you're in jail. While you're sitting in jail and like you're, you're trying to, I guess think about you know what's next for Patrick. Um, you know what what was your plans at that point? Like whenever you got out of jail, man, it was good. You know um, when I got out of jail, I just decided. You know, I'll put it, uh, two things. Two things. I thought when I got out of jail, all my boys were gonna be waiting for me. You know, I thought there was gonna be a big party. You know, I was gonna be. You know, everybody's been waiting for this day, just like I've been waiting for this day. And I get out of jail, and there isn't a damn person. You know, my girlfriend comes, picks me up, and she brings me back to the apartment, but there ain't a damn person. So I go out that night. No, I didn't, I didn't use. I knew I wasn't going to use anything, but I went out at night just to see my friends. And brothers, some of my friends asked me where I had been, you so know? They, did, they didn't know, you know, some of your friends obviously didn't know that you but, had uh, spent was, some time in, in the clink, huh? Yeah, but I was delusional. You know, it was my delusion. And the best thing was, man, my delusion got shattered. You know, once I saw that everything I knew was going to happen and all my expectations just weren't true, my delusion got shattered. And again, man, that was another level of just pure surrender. It's um, pretty easy to see, uh, you know, who, who your friends are in situations like that. Whenever but I don't blame them, man, because, I mean, they're all dopeens and they're all freaking hustlers. You know, they, they don't yeah. have, I mean, I had buddies that went to jail and I knew they were in jail, but I didn't go to visit them. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's just the way the work game works. But when I got out, what I did do was I decided I was just going to find a job I wanted, not a job that I, that I, I, I was going to try to find a job that I would enjoy doing. 
So I ended up going to a, the video game store down the block, turned in an application, did not tell them about my criminal history, and I got a job working at a freaking GameStop for a few years. And uh, man, that was the best job for me because it was low pressure. I knew it. I had fun doing it. And uh, it was the best thing I could have done getting out of jail. So at this point, like your, your mom, she's the only parent in your life. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Mom's, mom's it, man. Mom's the one that's been putting up with this the whole time. You know, she, she knew that something was going on, but she, had, she was living in complete denial. And I, I don't even think she knows. I mean, she doesn't even know this stuff. Like, you know, this story that I'm telling with you, she doesn't know any of this stuff. Right. And uh, she was living in complete denial. And uh, she knew that I'd gotten mixed up with some friends. I blamed all this on other people, and she believed it. But, man, she had, to, she had to put up with it. She had to help me with a lawyer because, again, man, we didn't save anything. We just ran. We, just, we were running wild. So she helped me with everything, and she got me out. And uh, it was bad, though, man. You know, when I come to visit the house, she, she – I can't – okay. When I come to visit the house, she changed the door locks on me after I went home. You know, if I, once I left the house, she'd have the, the key guy come over and change all the locks in the house because, I mean, I was a sketchy dude. Okay, so, I, you know, like all, I guess – Everybody that's battling addiction, like obviously we lose perception of what's right and wrong, and I'm sure that you know, you you probably at some point were stealing from her and doing the things no, that no 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 you no, no. didn't no never did any of that stuff. But man, but I I mean, I was sketchy. You know, okay. I was coming to visit her at her office. She's a physician, so I'd come yeah. to the hospital and visit her at the at her office in the hospital, and I'm just getting leaving the club. You know, oh, okay, so I, yeah. I stink like cigarettes. I'm wearing my freaking fat pants. You know, I look like an idiot and I'm visiting my mom in her professional job. So, I mean, I just did a lot of stupid stuff that she knew something was going on and she didn't know what, what it was, but she was going to protect herself. Because again, she's already gone through this with my dad. So your mom, like she already been through this cycle with your dad before. And then your dad, did he, you said that you, you just never had a relationship with him, right? Like, oh man, he ghosted um, us. He just ghosted you. He <laughs> bounced. Was that... Did he bounce whenever he was in his addiction? Or yeah. He did, so he left whenever he was all messed up and then just disappeared, vanished. And then next thing you know, like, you, you know, you go through your situation, you're out of there, you're starting to rebound your life, you got a job that you like now, like you're doing stuff legit, um, and then you're in college. And no, no, there, there's, a, there's a nice little missing step there like most of us have. So I was working all these jobs, you know, I left the video game store, ended up working for restaurants as a waiter, and I met this girl, and uh, one day, man, I'd been sober for about two years, you know, just not, just being good, and this girl comes up to me, and she goes, you know, I just found this new thing, I don't know if you know anything about it. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, man, I just found this thing called meth, you ever heard of it? I was like, oh, man, and I mean, this girl was cute, you know, I'd always had, you know, attracted to her, so I was trying to just, you know, find a way to get to know her a little better, and man, this was my freaking intro, right here was my segue to get her, become more of her friend, and I went down, introduced her to the whole world, man, and, uh, you know, we ended up, you know, hanging out for a couple days, nothing happened, we never really kept in touch, but man, she put me right back in the path, and I went from having everything again to right back dab snap in the middle of it within two weeks i was right back in with my old friend <laughs> wow so you so you get i guess put in jail you feel like this thing's over and then imagine that here comes a female Man. into a guy's life and put you right back into it that's what that's when i learned that addiction comes at you in ways that you are not ready for you know i always tell people addiction is a living animal you know, it's a freaking, it's a living being. It knows what, it knows where you're weak at. It knows where you're strong. It knows where to come at you where you're not expecting. It knows what you're not looking at. 
So, man, I always tell people, you know, treat addiction like it's a freaking wild animal hunting you. You know, you got to have eyes everywhere. You got to, you can't ever put your, your gun down. You got to be ready for it. Uh, because, yeah, man, you know, I was, I, was, I was doing everything right. You know, my mom and I had a good relationship. I was making a little bit of money as a, doing my, my, my little jobs. But, man, this girl just came out of nowhere and just, you know, hit me up with an opportunity that I simply couldn't pass up at the time. So I lost everything again, man. So you went right back. Right back to the bottom again. Did you did you suffer legal consequences again at this point? No, no, no. See, I, I, just, <laughs> I decided that the best way to do this was I wasn't going to hustle anymore. But I was going to introduce all my new friends to my old friends and charge them money for the introduction. Oh. And uh, this was going to finance my, my, <laughs> my habit. And it lasted for about a year and a half, two years. Uh, but what, the, what started happening then, man, you know, all my friends around me started getting popped again. But now my friends are getting popped for 25 to life. And now my wow. friends are going, going away for, you know, decades. And uh, I knew that I was coming up. You know, you, you, when you see everybody around you starting to disappear, you realize that, you know, you're just next in line. And I actually asked for help at that time. I told my mom, I was like, look, I, I got to get out of here. I got to go back to school. I got to do something. Uh, I got to get out of Houston because, you know, it's just getting bad. And I didn't tell her what bad meant, but I just told her, I was like, I need to get that. I need to get out of Houston. And she said, yeah, you know, so, you know, if you wanted to go back to school, I'll, I'll, I'll help you go back to school. And that's when I ended up back in Huntsville, Texas at Sam Houston State University. That would take me in because, I mean, I had failed my previous university, obviously. And uh, they took me back in and uh, I got to start in school there. And that's when I was, you know, I was convinced that if I didn't keep myself safe, I was convinced that if I didn't, you know, respect drugs and alcohol, then I was just going to run right back to where I was again. So, man, I'm like, I'm on high alert. You know, yeah. I'm in school on high alert. I'm not going out at night. I'm not drinking with my friends. I am straight up, you know, high alert, just trying to keep myself straight and just trying to get through school and do the, see what was going to happen. I didn't know where I was going to go to school for. You know, I was just going to yeah. school. Was, but, you, was you successful at that point, like, as far as staying away from it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a... I'm not going to lie, you know, I, mean, I probably had a couple of drinks here and there with roommates and stuff like that. I probably smoked a little weed here and there, but I never let, I never went to Houston. And, you know, if anybody's had anything hard on them, you know, I stayed the hell away from them. And I went to school. You know, that was a whole new experience. Yeah. I went to class and I took notes. <laughs> uh, it, was a, it was a good feeling. Um, but then, yeah, that's, that's, that's around when I got the email from Dad. So that's, that's where Pops comes into the picture, huh? And I'm sure that was shocking, man. It had to be, but... You know, like everything happens for a reason, obviously, especially fast forwarding and see where you're at now. Um, so how, how did how did that relationship with your dad start? You know, you got the email and, you know, obviously what comes next? You wanted a phone call. Yeah, well, you know, dad always wanted a relationship with us. Believe You know, he, I think he 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 had his own struggles for so long that, you know, by the time he did get sober and by the time he did get his life together. He thought he had lost all chances of, you know, restarting a relationship with myself or my sister. So I think, you know, I think he just waited until he couldn't wait any longer. So when he did reach out, you know, he was just really craving just some kind of connection because I think that was something that he had counted on or, or been been praying on for a long, long time. Uh, you know, when you go through recovery, you, you know, you get your promises and you start asking for things. He started, you know, really praying for certain things. I think he was praying for a relationship with his family. So when, when, when we got to talking a little bit, you know, he, he, he just, you know, told me a lot about his story. And then it turns out one of my cousins was getting married in, um, 
Macon, Georgia. And uh, he invited me to the wedding. It was a chance for me to get to meet a whole family I hadn't met. I mean, this is my cousins, my uncle, my aunts. I mean, I haven't met any of these people. And it gave me a chance to, to meet them and also meet him in a way that, you know, was easy. You know, we're at a wedding. If, I, if everything's cool, we can hang out. If it's not cool, I can do something else. So I went to Georgia and I went to the wedding and we started hanging out. We started talking and um, it was really cool, man. I, I saw a lot of myself and my dad. A lot of my dad explained a lot of me to me. Like I was able to comprehend how I was the way I was for some in some ways because I sure wasn't like mom and I sure wasn't like my sister. So I was always the the black sheep of the family. But then I met, you know, the older black sheep of the family. Yeah. And uh, it kind of, you know, it started pieces started fitting together and, you know, Things that I didn't understand started making sense. So at this point, um, did your dad, did he already have HCC already up and going? Um, was this already his baby that he, he created? Because your dad, like, he's, you know, like, in the recovery community. And, like, from what I understand and everybody tells me, like, he's, he's a legend, man. Like, he's, uh, he's your Hulk Hogan of, uh, <laughs> I guess, of that community. Um, so he already had, you know, HCC up and going at that point and uh like how did did he explain that to you kind of what he did what his profession was and how he got there at that point yeah and i think it was a I think it was he explained it but then i was also asking a lot of questions because again at this time in my life i'm trying to get my stuff together and all i know about my dad is he's a freaking alcoholic addict so i asked a lot of questions you know i was like hey so what are you doing you know are you sober are you drinking are you doing meetings are you talking to a sponsor you know do you believe in god you know, I'm asking all these questions that are really weird for a freaking, what, 20-something-year-old to ask his, his father when they've just met. But uh, he understood, and he was real gracious about it, because I was kind of kind of, I was kind of being a little annoying with it. But, um, yeah, he was, uh, he, he, had, he had, HCC opened in 1989. This was in 2000 and probably two. So it'd been up, it'd been running for a minute. And uh, you, you were still in Texas at this point? Yeah, I was still in Texas. I was still at school. And uh, so what happened was, you know, one, one, one year, must have been 2003, maybe 2004, 2004, he says, hey, you know, you guys, you're coming up on summer break. Why don't you come over to Tampa for the summer, do an internship at my treatment facility? You know, it'll give you some, it'll let you make a little bit of money. It'll also give us a chance to get to know each other a little better. So he said, why don't you come over to, t to uh, Tampa, Florida for the summer? And I, I, I was like, yeah, man, that sounds like a good idea. You know, I could definitely use a little bit of money. And Tampa sounds like a nice place, so let's check it out. What, what job did he give you whenever you got here? What was your, uh, what was your role here? I was the neurofeedback, biofeedback technician. So I worked with this guy named Tom Daly, who's one of the most amazing men in the whole world. And uh, me and Tom work in the neurofeedback lab with our clients. And it's a, it's a, it's a non like clinical therapeutic job. So it's not like I had to give people advice or talk to them about recovery. You know, it's a nice way for somebody that's coming in to do it, something that's, that's helping people. And man, we worked in a neurofeedback lab. And when we started, we had, I think, three machines for neurofeedback. By the time I got out of the neurofeedback lab, I think we're up to six machines. So we really ramped it up. And uh, we were kicking ass in that neurofeedback machine. And you, at this point too, you like you had finished college, right? Like oh you, God, no, man! You didn't. You didn't finish college. You well, just no, I, I had left for the summer, right? Yeah. So I'd left for the summer, and I was supposed to go back at the end of the summer. But you know, I'm working in the neurofeedback lab, making a little bit of money, working in in Tampa, having fun, and I just decided not to go back to Houston. Uh, I called my roommate back in Houston, and I, I didn't even go back. I told her, I was like, you can have everything in the apartment. I was like, you can have everything that's in there. You know, Just take it all. 
take it all. You can sell it, make a little bit of money, whatever you want to do. You can take it all. But, you know, the hardest part was talking to my mom about it because my mom hates my dad at this point. Yeah. And, you know, what she saw me do was, you know, she helped me get through all my bullshit, my BS. And uh, what do I do? I go over to Tampa to hang out with my father who abandoned us when I was four. Yeah. So my yeah, mom took hard. it real hard. Yeah, it's hard. Um, you know, like once you got here, like, you know, you built this relationship with your father. And once you got here and, you know, you seen, I guess, HCC and what he had built and what he had been working on for years and uh, how he had got his life together. How, um, you know, like, how did you feel about that? Was you was you proud at that point and happy that you did answer the email and that you had taken the step forward to meet your dad and try to get to know him? Yeah, you know, I was happy, but I didn't appreciate it yet. You know, I didn't really have any real appreciation because, again, I was just coming in for the summer. And I got to tell you, man, I was the biggest piece of work that summer because I didn't do anything. You know, I was the boss's son. Dad was treating me like I was royalty because, you know, he all he wanted was for us to hang out. It didn't matter. He would have paid me money just to sit in the house and just talk to him about life. So, I mean, I really was a piece of work. And this, this guy, Tom Daly, who I mentioned earlier, Tom, who I worked in the neurofeedback lab, I remember he sat me down because at the end of the summer, I, I said, why don't I just stay here? And Dad was like, yeah, man, if you want to stay here, we can make it work. And I sat down with Tom, who I was working with in the neurofeedback lab, and I was like, Tom, I'm going to stick around. And he said, okay, if you want to stick around, you gotta, you got to really start doing this like it means something. And, you know, he read me the, 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 the act, and he, he laid it down and told me the truth. He's like, you know, this is serious. We take this serious. We're responsible for people. You know, this is a, this is a job that means something. So Tom really, you know, he, he set me straight. You know, he really sat me down, threatened me a little bit. And uh, he set me straight, and after that, man, I really took the job serious, and I really applied myself, showed up on time every day, and took it, made the best I made the best I could with it. But man, I, I did make a lot of friends that summer. You know, a lot of the staff saw me for the, the boss's son that I was at the time. But you know, after a little bit of work, it, it all worked out. I think I, I think I, I showed everybody that I was willing to to put in the time. So at this point, like you, I guess you have arrived in Tampa, right? Like this is. This is where you decided to stay then. Yeah, I mean, I, I was in Tampa, and then I had to decide what I was going to do in Tampa because, you know, I wanted to go back to school, and I wanted to, to make something in my life, and now I had a job that could afford me to actually do something. You know, I had a little bit of extra money where I could go to school and, and, and make something of myself. And, and in the meantime, I'm living in Dad's freaking guest house. So I'm on Dad's, I'm on Dad's property living in his guest house. So, I, you know, he's not charging me rent and I'm not paying utilities. So I can actually put a little bit of money away and, and try to figure out what I really want to do with my time. What was you, uh, what was you going to school for? What was your major? Oh, man. Uh, first, back in the day, you know, I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher because that sounded like something I'd be able to do. From drug dealer to right. kindergarten teacher. And then, nice. I went, then I went computer science because, you know, I like computers, but we got to programming and I said, F this. So I stopped doing computer science. And then when I came to Tampa and I saw what dad was doing, I didn't know what my place was going to be in the company if I was ever really going to have a place. But I knew that I had a chance to do something. So I had to choose between, you know, I liked the, I liked, I liked the treatment program. You know, I liked what we did. I saw how we affected people's lives. I saw how we cared about what we were doing. So I knew that that was what I wanted to do. But I had to choose between being a therapist or being a, you know, an administrator in the company. And I know I'm way too codependent. I'm way too gullible to be a therapist. You know, I, I just, I, I didn't have, I don't have a therapist in me. I'm just not able to do it. 
So I decided to go business, and then I went to uh, the community college here in Tampa, did two years there. Then I transferred over to University of South Florida, finished off my undergrad there. And then I went to University of Florida for the, for the master's in business program. And meanwhile, I'm working full-time the whole time. So, I mean, I went from being totally irresponsible and not doing anything to working full-time, going to school full-time. And, uh, you know, it was tough for a while there. I was, you know, it was seven days a week, maybe had a couple hours off one day or two, but for a while there it was seven days a week. And I was, you know, we made positions at the, at the facility at, at Healthcare Connection. We made positions so that I could work, you know, so we yeah. didn't have a tech. At this point, I'm a tech, yeah. uh, behavioral tech. So, I mean, we didn't have a weekend tech before, but, you know, I, that's when I had time because I was in school during the week. So I became a weekend tech. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a hustle, man. I mean, I, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was all in. At that point, too, like, you know, like one of the things that I've always heard since I've been here and actually experienced because, you know, you once, I guess once you, you bought the company, um, I, you know, the integrity of HCC that your dad had built at that point, like was something that separated HCC from a lot of treatment centers. Um, at that point, did you see that? Did you see, you know, like how much love and passion that your dad was putting into it? And uh, just, I don't know, like from from what I've heard, like your dad, like from different programs that he'd been part of and this, like he, he kind of, um, I guess, built HCC on, you know, some different programs that had these great, great ways of doing things and like and then that led to just the integrity of HCC being incredible and I experienced it firsthand like being there like I I truly don't think that you know I I would have been able to get sober and change my life if I wouldn't have come to HCC um, just because of the the family atmosphere and just feeling like you know everybody cared for you and wanted you did you feel that at that point like your dad was building that yeah yeah absolutely I mean you can't you can't be in that building for more than a few hours with dad there without feeling his his presence you know everybody's asked me over the years what's dad's secret you know because there's something about him you know he's he's magnetic you know he's polarizing he's 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 incredible and the truth of the matter is, man, he is just walking surrender, appreciation, and gratitude. You know, that guy has been through so much. He went through, he went through treatment facilities after treatment facilities as a client, you know, and getting sober. And then afterwards, he decided to commit his life to recovery, and he worked for every other facility in Tampa. You know, he worked for every big hospital program. He was medical director for, you name the place, he was medical director there for a while. And uh, you're right, man, you know, what he did was he, he, he was... The way, the way HEC started was he was trying to find a facility for impaired physicians because that's who he was. So he's trying to find a place so he can, where he could send impaired physicians and he simply couldn't find one because it didn't exist. And after, after beating his head on a rock for a while, a light bulb went off and he realized a healthcare, for, a healthcare facility for impaired professionals didn't exist. So he started one. And, um, you know, it was really groundbreaking stuff. You know, he really became, you know, the benchmark for, for what to do. And he built it and grew it. And, you know, it's a, it is an incredible thing. The guy has, the guy has lived quite a life. So at that point, uh, whenever it comes to, you know, like centers, like rehab facilities, like your dad, he, he was the first one for, you know, like for doctors, nurses, like, like a professionals group. He was the first one in Tampa or is that... 
Like, yeah, yeah. He was the first one. I mean, as far as I know, he was the first one in Tampa. Now, there, there is another facility in Tampa that's, that's been open one year longer than us. And uh, we have a lot of respect for him. You know, Turning Point of Tampa is a great facility. I do not know the history of how they started or if they started with impaired professionals. I know they do treat them now. But uh, as far as I know, Dad was, you know, really groundbreaking when it comes to, to treating healthcare professionals. And that was his, his thing, man. And, you know, at the prime of HCC... When HCC was really hitting its hitting its stride, I mean, we were known on the entire East Coast. You know, people in New York were bringing their their docs and nurses to to Tampa, Chicago. I mean, East Coast was all about Tampa, and yeah. um, you know, it was really an amazing thing to see. And uh, he he hustled, man. I mean, I know a lot of people that work hard. I know a lot of people that hustle, but I don't know anybody that hustles quite as much as Dad. And the other messed up part is. He has more fun doing it than anybody I'd ever seen doing anything in my entire life. Yeah. You know, he just has fun, you know, and, and, and it just works out for him. You know, we had, a, we had a CEO when I started working at HCC that I got along with really well, and he was an incredible guy. His name was Jess, and I remember I was talking to Jess one day, and he's like, Patrick, you know, I'm terrified of airplanes. He's like, I won't fly anywhere. But he goes, but if your dad's on the airplane, I'm fine. Because I know that that guy's walking surrender, gratitude, and appreciation, and God's got his, his eye on him. And I know if, that, if your dad's in that plane, we're going to be absolutely fine. And that's just, that's just people's perception of dad. Yeah, it's, like, it's he, true. man, the respect that, you know, like, people carry for your dad, like, that's, like, I've never heard, you know, like, I've, I've never heard anything bad, like, <laughs> whenever it comes to your dad, like, everything's, and uh, it's funny, like, I actually got a story, uh, about your dad like you know i haven't spent a lot of time with your dad you know just a few minutes here a few minutes there and then he come and whenever i was in treatment and he he, uh he talked to us and uh you know told his story and you know gave us some hope like he was cool though man like he's just he's he's making me crack up like i was laughing and um you know after i got out of treatment like for you to don't know like um patrick gave me the opportunity to come work for uh healthcare connection and uh I, uh, as a tech, and I was at the center one day, and um, I was having to, to do a drug test on somebody, and uh, it was a client that was just being just rude and, like, just having a bad day, and, uh, like, I was irritated. I was a little irritated, and, like, I was bent over. I wasn't even looking back at the door, and your dad comes in, <laughs> and um, he's like, I, I, Hey, I need to use the bathroom. And I was like, well, you're going to have to wait a damn minute. Like, Hold on a minute. And like, I looked up and it was your dad and he just looked at me and he was like, oh, okay. Like almost like, oh, like almost like he felt my pain at the moment. And then he just walked off and I was like, oh shit, like that's, that's, that's Dave so I was like, that's Dr. Myers. I better. So I went and I grabbed him. I was like, dude, I'm sorry, man. Like that just came out. And I was like, man, I'm irritated. Like I'm. The clients been cussing at me and everything else, but it was just funny because I was like, "Damn, man!" Like, yeah. you know, it's like meeting Hogan, I guess, or somebody like that. And it's like, just your dad's so respected. And it's like, I was like, "Man, what? What did I just say to him? Like, did I really just say that to Doctor Byers?" Well, the best part of Dad was, you know, for a few years there, you know, when he was the owner, and I was the even when I was CFO, and then when I became CEO, or even when I was just there, you know, me and him would get we we work together. You know, he and I would sit in his office and we'd deal with whatever was coming our way and we'd strategize what was going on or we'd plan for this, we'd take care of that. And, you know, we really, our relationship started really building a lot better. You know, but our relationship was based at this point on the company. 
you know, that was our relationship because we didn't have the previous 20 years. You know, it's not like he was there when I was, you know, learning how to ride a bicycle. It's not like we can talk about when I was in junior high school. So our relationship was built around the office. And uh, we spent a lot of time. And, you know, people's, people really try to talk to dad because he's, again, he's just energetic. He's, he's, he's magnetic. But I got to spend the entire day with him. And, you know, I could have his, you know, wisdom. I could have his understanding. I could have his, his knowledge. Like, it was there. And I could just talk to him. So our best time, my, my best memory of HCC is just me sitting in dad's office with him and just dealing with whatever came our way and getting through it together and just being understanding. And he taught me a lot. You know, he taught me about surrender. He taught me about divine order. He taught me about spirituality and spiritual principles. And, you know, it's something I tr- continue to try to, to instill in the company. I try to follow in his footsteps the best I can. I mean, there'll never be another Dave Myers, but, you know, the foundation was already there for me. And my, my, my role is just to continue in the philosophy and continue in the, in the practice of healthcare connection. Yeah. So it was, I was just very lucky to have him there for a long time before he retired. And uh, that, was good, that was good years. So whenever, um, you know, like your dad, he's got this amazing company. And uh, there was a point, I guess, where, you know, like, you know, WWE, like in professional wrestling, like a lot of, a lot of professional wrestlers, like you know, they, it's you know everybody's aware of it. If you're a wrestling fan or if you follow wrestling news, it's like over the past, you know, twenty years, like we've had a lot of our guys, like you know, um, die from drug use or alcohol use or you know things relating to those substances, and um, you know, there come a point where WWE, like they they really started taking the wellness policy. Uh, to a whole nother level and offering help to uh, to its employees and anybody that's been part of the company. And uh, how did that come about with HCC where you guys got linked with WWE on helping out um, our entertainers? Well, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's two stories I've heard. <laughs> so two different people claim responsibility for bringing in WWE. Um, but, you know, it's just basically, you know, for, we reach out to local entertainment, local sports, and local local organizations and see if they can use our services. And since WWE is, is in Tampa, you know, we just reached out to WWE and saying, hey, look, this is what we do. Uh, we work with professionals. Of course, WWE Entertainment are professionals. We do a lot of pain management. Of course, WWE professionals have a lot of pain, and ma- pain management issues. You know, this seems to like fit in fit in line with what we do. Do you have any need for our services? Can we help you? And uh, they they said yeah. And I remember when we first started getting WWE guys, because again, you know, we're we're a facility for impaired professionals. That was Dad's thing. So we're used to you know surgeons, nurses, dentists, and you know then you get a you know a seven foot tall, six foot five uh, tall guy that weighs three hundred fifty pounds of you know pretty pretty good muscle. It's a it's a different it's a different thing. But uh, it worked well, man. You know, the WWE guys have always been very appreciative. They've always been extremely, uh, you know, they've been always they've always been really appropriate and always been, you know, good. And we treated them the same thing, the same way we treat our docs. And I think they really, yeah. they, they enjoy that because, you know, we had a lot of respect for them. We had a lot of understanding for them. And the truth is, you know, we treat our, our 18-year-olds like docs. You know, we treat yeah. everybody the same way. <clears throat> yeah, but, um, whenever I got, whenever I was... Uh or whenever WWE helped me out and I put me in treatment, they sent me here. And, you know, I remember getting here and it was doctors, it was lawyers, it was nurses. There was one other guy in treatment with me that wasn't 
a professional. Um, he was just, you know, mm-hmm. and it was like, I was sitting there going, how did I end up here? Like, <laughs> doctors and lawyers. I'm like, man, these, there's no way like I'm going to get along with these people. And man, like that, I think that was a big part of me, like not only getting sober, but like opening up, I guess my views on people. Cause at that point I didn't hang out with people unless they were in the pro wrestling industry. If you weren't a pro wrestler, I wanted nothing to do with you. Yeah. And then here I am, like I got thrown in here um, in the, into HCC with doctors, with lawyers, with nurses, and all these people that I would never, ever like give the time of day to to get to know them, to tell them my story. And, you know, I'm kind of forced into this. And then out of that, like I've got some of the greatest friends like I could ever have that are doctors, that are lawyers, <laughs> that are nurses. <laughs> And um, like it's just cool, man. And it's like that that formula, like it. I don't know. It, it worked for me. Like um, you know, I'm I'm super appreciative of it. And like you know, I, I'm, everything happens for a reason. I just remember sitting in treatment, going, "Man, professionals. Well, I'm a professional wrestler. Like I yeah. guess it's okay. I'm here. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, man, it was interesting uh, being here with doctors and lawyers, and uh, it just it, it made me see a lot. Uh, in myself and it made me look inward a lot and go man like what you, you've been cheating yourself not getting to know people and you know outside of wrestling and trying to have friends that were in other industries or it was just weird how close-minded I was and like ACC helped me with that as well as you know obviously getting sober well you know we always try to be the great equalizer you know we have docs that come in that have never done their own laundry they don't know how to cook and, you know, they got to figure it out. We also have people that come in that know how to cook, but they don't know how to talk to other people. They don't know how to, you know, have interpersonal skills. And, um, you know, it's, it's the, we're the great equalizer. You know, it doesn't matter if you make six figures or if you make, you know, minimum wage. You know, we're, you're going to get treated the same. We're going to treat you with a lot of love, compassion, understanding and sympathy. And um, nobody's nobody's special. You know, we did have we had a couple you know, people come through the facility that were extremely recognizable. You know, people that, you know, you saw and you, you knew who they were. And um, those were a little bit more difficult. I mean, because whenever you have somebody like that, when you take them to an outside meeting, when you take them somewhere, you know, they start getting the recognition, it gets kind of weird. Uh, we actually had one uh, pro athlete that held a news conference in front of HCC without telling us he was going to do it. Wow. So one day, you know, at HCC, a bunch of camera crews show up, ESPN shows up, local news, and this guy's holding a freaking news conference in front of our facility, and we're trying to shuffle clients out from the, behind the camera so nobody gets, you know, put on, on the TV by accident. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you always have some, some people that are just a little bit more extraordinary than others, but they get treated the exact same way. Yeah, that's, uh, and that was, that was actually one of my, my questions was, like, are pro wrestlers harder to deal with than most normal no. professionals lawyers man <laughs> lawyers <laughs> lawyers we had a we had a judge once man and this judge was having a hard time just having he couldn't surrender man he was having a hard time coming to groups with him this guy's writing lawsuits in group against us and um you know so we've had we've had we've had difficult everything though you know we have difficult 18 year olds we have difficult nurses you have difficult surgeons you have difficult wrestlers you know, it really just runs the gamut. It's, it's everything's individualized. You know, we treat everybody different from everybody else. We keep everybody. Uh, we just try to personalize their program. But um, no, wrestlers. I, <clears throat> I don't think wrestlers are more difficult than the other professionals now. Yeah, it, it. You know, like one. 
after getting out of treatment and then, um, you know, w- once you offered me an opportunity to be part of HCC and then like getting to, to work, I, w- I was really excited because, you know, I was hoping to get to work with other, you know, wrestlers, like if they came in with issues and that's, you know, that's what happened. I was fortunate enough to be able to, you know, help some of the other mm-hmm. guys and uh, as they come through and man, like that, that's an experience like, you know, there's nothing like being part of a process like with a company that completely changes somebody's life and it sends them home and they can be a husband again. They can have their career back. Um, you know, their kids love them again. Like that was that was one of the greatest things ever was the first time like I seen somebody successfully go home and get their life back together. And man, it's an incredible feeling. Um and you know like just recently um with this whole virus issue like man (laughs) um dude this virus like it it, it's thrown a wrench in wrestling it's it's thrown a wrench in just the entire world on how the world just i I guess just goes like how, how it moves every day like everything has changed um and like how how's the virus like how how's this affected HCC over the last you know two months three months? Oh man, it's been a wrecking ball. You know uh, we're not a company that's ever strived to become you know a huge facility. You know we like staying small, we like staying private, but we also like staying affordable. So we've never been you know a big money making type empire, but we've always had enough to make do. You know, we've always had enough to, to, to get through it all and to keep taking care of people and letting people come to us that can't really afford anything else. And they find out that, you know, even though they couldn't afford anything else, they typically had a good time with us. But with the virus, man, you know, it uh, just throws an entire wrench in the whole program. You know, everybody's kind of not sure what's going on. Well, we had a downsize because we know what's coming up. Uh, 2009, you know, gave me a gave me a very good understanding of what we we have coming up. You know, 2009 with a financial crisis, people started losing their jobs, people started losing their financial security, and uh, man, our admissions and our our census dropped to the floor. You know, when when families have only a little bit of savings saved up and they have to decide if they're going to spend that money on rehab or food and bills, you know, typically it's food and bills that win it out. Yeah, and that's a, that's a difficult decision. I've had to, you know, I was I've been in that position. Uh, I've owned tattoo shops uh, in the past, and you know there was times where I had to shut my shops down. And um, whenever, you know, I had to, whenever you, you got to tell somebody like, hey, you know, like man, we got to downsize. It's just business, just the way it is. It's nothing personal. Like that, that sucks, man, and it can take a toll on you, man. Um, it. it it's hard to do um and this virus like it's 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 horrible what it's done for businesses you know having to make that decision well you know um, i was real angry about it for a minute because uh, you know one of the one of the biggest travesties was you know i had the best team i'd ever had you know i had the crew i wanted i you know because it took a, it took a few years to separate myself from some of the people that work with dad and you know one of the things about buying the company from dad was a lot of the people that work there worked for dad and then when i bought the company <clears throat> they didn't work for me and uh, they still had their, their, their loyalty with dad, which is totally understandable. I get it. But I finally had the crew that I wanted. You know, I'd, I'd been chasing a certain, certain people and I'd finally gotten them in and I had the crew. And then, yeah, man, you know, all of a sudden there's a, there's a virus out there that people are losing their jobs left and right. <clears throat> people are losing their jobs left and right. People are losing their health insurances. 
and uh, I know what's coming up. So I had to, you know, make some layoffs and, you know, I'd been working with some of them for a few years. I'd been working with some of them for 10 years. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that was, a that was probably the most difficult day I've had in a long time. Yeah. That's a tough decision, you know, like, and you know, I, like I'm one of the ones you had to call and go, Hey, yeah. I got to make some cutbacks and like, dude, it stung. Like it, it wasn't a, you know, I wasn't angry personally at you because I understand business and as well as, you know, but I think with HCC it's different. And I think where a lot of people, you know, like had those emotions really running, but it, it wasn't just a job. Like, I think it was a, you know, like, just the way that this machine works, the way the HCC machine works, it's like you build these relationships with, you know, with each other as far as staff goes and also the clients. And it's just, it's, it's this machine that you start putting your emotions into, you start putting your heart, your soul, and you become part of that machine. And then once you, you know, you wake up one day and it's like, and you're not sure like if it's there or <laughs> what just happened or what that is, like, it's tough, man. And I know for you, like, you know, I'm sure that had to affect you on a whole nother level because it affected me like tremendously. Like it just, it really like, it, yeah. it hurt me, you know, and it, it wasn't you and your decision. It was just like, man, like there's, you know, I'm not going to be able to sit at the table no more with 10 clients and play spades or, you know, a client's not going to come to me and be honest with me about how they're feeling that day. And I might not be able to help somebody again. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a tough position, man. That's a tough call to have to make. Yeah, but you know, one of one of the blessings of of being sober and understanding how being sober works and all the things that take, you know, it's it's acceptance. You know, I I had to accept the truth, which was, you know, I didn't have a choice. You know, I could I could risk everybody's job. I could risk putting myself in real legal and serious trouble by continuing as if nothing's going on, or I could just accept what was going on, be great, grateful for what I could keep, and surrender the rest. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it kept me up for a few days, you know, because I had a feeling it was coming because I, I was seeing what was happening. It reminded me of things we've been through in the past. And uh, but then one day, you know, once I, once it became evident what was going to have to happen, it was I was able to process it and I was able to surrender it. And it was it was something I was able to do. But, yeah, man, it was it was a brutal it was a brutal week. And it's it hasn't gotten any better. You know, it's not like the virus has gone away. It's not like things are peachy king. You know, I don't think we really have any kind of idea right now what the total, you know, fallout's going to be for all this. We don't have any clue. Right. But, yeah. Where, um, like, you know, wh where's your vision at now? Like, you you know, obviously you've had to adjust. You've had to reevaluate. You've had to, you know, kind of look ahead at what you're looking at, you know, going forward. Um, and I think every company is. Like, it's not just your company. Like, no, every, every company, company in the world, including, you know, w you see WWE, like, if you... You're online, like, they've had to make cutbacks. And, like, the way that they're structuring TV shows, like, they're having to film in an empty arena. Um, like, so many companies now are having to, like, figure out ways that they're not only just going to exist while this virus is going on, but, like, in the future, like, what does this mean for the future? What changes are going to have to be made? <laughs> um, what, where do you see, you know, your vision going with HCC from this point? Because I know we discussed it. You know, a lot of virtual stuff, like even yeah. once the virus is over, like you, you really want to tap into this whole virtual era uh, and the way that, you know, like computers can be used. Like, where do you see HCC going? Well, you know, right now we're doing outpatient therapy. We're doing some, some stuff, but we're mainly focusing on outpatient because it's cost effective. You know, people that are 
don't have a ton of resources right now. You know, going to treatment inpatient really doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but outpatient, you know, a lot of families can make that work even with a small budget. Um, I'd like to get inpatient going again, but that's up to God. You know, yeah. that's, 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 his, that's his call. I'm just here for the ride. You know, one of, my dad, one of the things my dad always said, you know, he literally said this 10,000 times a day was divine order. He's like, it's all in divine order. We're just, you know, we just got to see what God's got in store. And that's where I'm at. You know, I don't know what's going to be. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I know that I'm doing the best I can to make things work and I'm doing what I can to help the clients that I can help. But a lot of what's going on is out of my control and there's nothing I can do a whole lot about. Uh, when, when things were going down at HCC, when, when, when we were having to make changes, I had, to, I had a discussion with Chris Nicely, the clinical director, and uh, we were talking about what the options were, and then we kind of boiled it down to we either had to chase the money or we had to chase taking care of our clients, but we couldn't do both. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that goes back to the whole thing that your dad founded this place on, yeah. you know, like the, um, you know, just his process and just the integrity of HCC, like that kind of, you know, it completely gets away from that at that point if you start thinking about the dollars over yeah. um, the other stuff. Yeah. Um, so we decided to, to, you know, just not, we, cause, you know, we had the option of having this half-assed inpatient program that wasn't really going to be offering the clients what they needed but we could make money doing it and uh, that was chasing the money or we could you know discharge and the ones we could and refer out the ones that we had to and and make sure everybody was safe and make sure the people we were taking care of got a full program and that was chasing the client's best wishes so that's the way we went cool man like it's uh you know that's uh you know that to me that's the right call because they you know I don't know if God never fails you. I know he hasn't failed me even in my dark days. Like I know, I, I didn't know he was there, but for some reason he knew I was here and he, he kept taking care of me. And I, now I can't, you know, I can't, I guess, uh, have that connection with him enough every day. Um, so. Well, it's hard to trust in that, you know, it's hard to trust on that, 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 that thing, but you know, it's what we keep telling people is like, you know, just keep doing the next right thing and it's going to be all right. It may not be what you want, but you know, if you, it, it'll make sense in the future. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, that's just the way I'm living right now, man. You know, every day is its own day and I'm just trying not to get wrapped up. You know, one thing that's going on right now that's the, that I think is probably the most detrimental to the entire, uh, you know, population is just the amount of fear. Yeah. You know, I've, I've lived in a lot of different emotions, but I got to tell you, man, the most devastating emotion I live in ever is fear. And I think a lot of people are living in fear right now. Yeah. Yeah. The fear it, and fear controls everything. Like that's yeah. that one thing. It'll, it'll control how you're feeling, like just how you live. It'll control everything if you well, let it. You know, I've seen people that are totally rational, just like just level headed people get into fear and they do the craziest things and, yeah. you know, things I never would expect them to do. And, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, just you know, process the fear, you know, put it, you know, figure it out and just live in, in surrender and uh, have hope. Yeah. Yeah. If, um, man, if there was, if there's somebody out there struggling right now, Patrick, and, and they have a chance just to hear this, or if they just happen to listen to this, like, what would your advice be? You know, if they're struggling with addiction, alcoholism, um, you know, like if they just need help, like what, what would you tell them if you were face-to-face -to, -face to them? Get started. Call somebody. Get into a program. Get into whatever program you can get into. Go to a meeting. Get a sponsor. You know, it's all about, you know, giving up on what hasn't worked in the past and starting something new. And, and you know, the one thing about it is it's scary. 
you know, starting something new for an addict is like, you know, it's like acid. You don't want to touch it. It's freaking going to hurt. But, um, you know, if you're in that place where you know things aren't going well, if you're in that place where, you know, you're just losing everything, you're losing friends, you're losing family, you're losing possessions, you're losing careers, you know, take a chance. You know, a lot of us invest a lot of time into dope. A lot of us invest a lot of time into doing the wrong thing. And it's not crazy to think that it's okay to invest a little bit of time in something that you have no idea about. Because, you know, you've already done, you've already spent so much time doing the, the, what you shouldn't have done. So anything's probably better at this point. So if there's people out there that are looking for help, you know, they can call us. And if we're not the right place for you, what can help you find the right place? If we are the right place, we can talk to you about what we have going on. Um, and if we're not the right place for you to call, just call anybody. You know, the, it all starts with, with something. You know, it all starts with a phone call. It all starts with a conversation. But it also starts with a little bit of surrender and honesty. You know, talk to your best friend. Tell them that you're having a hard time. Talk to your best friend. Tell them that you're in trouble and that you need help. Now, you know, what? just expect buyer's remorse. You know, everybody I know that, you know, had that moment of surrender and had that window of opportunity that did open up to somebody else, regretted it 10 minutes later. I mean, that will happen. But, you know, just accept it and just go with it and try it. Um, I always tell people, you know, if you don't like it in five years, you can go back. You know, give it yeah. five years and see what it's like. If you if, if in five years you don't like how it's all working out, just go back to what you're doing before. That's your choice. Cool, man. Like, yeah, it, it's you, you got to follow through. You got to reach out for help. Um, that's something I didn't do for a good two years is like I didn't, you know, like, I thought nobody knew that I needed help. Like I thought I was just like normal. And you know, as I'm, you know, riding a bicycle to go buy dope, or you know, like I'm just getting D a DUI for hitting a so-called pothole, which obviously my whole front tire and suspension fell out from underneath my car. So uh, it wasn't just a pothole, and I ended up in jail. Like man, like if 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 your life is just spinning out of control and you think that you need help, you probably need help. So well, Shane, reach, where, where do you think you'd be right now if you hadn't gone to HCC? Like, where do you think, where do you think you'd be at today if you hadn't gotten help when you got it? If I wouldn't have got help, uh, call for help whenever I did, I would be in prison for the rest of my life hmm. or I would be dead. One of the two. Like, yeah, without one doubt, without a question, like, one of those two would be what I'd be facing right now. I think I, I, I agree, man. I think that's, uh, I, you know, we always say addiction ends in one of three places, right? The morgue, prison, or um, the hospital. Yeah. You know, there's there's no other way around it. Yeah, it's, um, you know, like I'm, I'm grateful. I, you know, I'm grateful. When I called for help, I actually called Road Dog. And, uh, you know, Brian, like, he's, you know, whenever I called him for help, like, WWE had me in treatment within, you know, 24 hours. And uh, like, I can't thank WWE enough for sending me the HCC. Um, their wellness program is phenomenal. Like the way that they treat, um, you know, employees within the company and get them help whenever they you know, they they need to tackle these issues. Like the company's is phenomenal from that standpoint. Like I yeah. I, I can't thank them enough, and I can't thank HCC enough because HCC man, it introduced me to a way of living that you know, like completely changed my, not only my life and it stopped my drug use, but it just, it gave me a reason to wake up every day. Like whenever I wake up every day, I wake up with purpose and that's what HCC taught me. So if you're out there and you need help, Patrick, what, is there a phone number? Is there, what's the best way for somebody to get a hold of 
Healthcare Connection if they need some help. Oh, shoot. Just call us at 813-931-5560. And, uh, man, we'll be more than happy to talk to you. Like I said, we may not be the right place, but we sure as hell can get you on the right road. So if you need help, call that number, get a hold of him, change your life, contact Patrick, get a hold of him. Do it. Connection of Tampa. Patrick, dude, I'm so glad we got to sit down and we got to chat. We could sit here for two hours, but we only got an hour to to upload. Maybe we'll do part two and get into some... Some other things, uh, you know, we can always talk politics and all that craziness because yeah, yeah. I'm politics sure everybody's yeah, politics, <laughs> business, um, just a lot of other nonsense. But I just wanted people to understand, like, you know, where Patrick Myers come from, where he's at today, how he's helped people. And, uh, dude, I can't appreciate you enough. Like, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful to have you as a friend. And uh, I'm grateful for the, the company that, you know, your dad and yourself has built. Um, it saved my life, and I'm truly grateful for you. Well, I appreciate it, Shannon. It's always been nice knowing you. I remember, I still remember the day we met, and I knew, I knew a couple days later that you and I were going to be friends for a long time. So no, man, it's always been a, it's been a pleasure meeting you, knowing you, watching you grow, watching you change. And yeah, you're right. The WWE has taken care of their guys. It doesn't matter if they're current, if they haven't wrestled forever. WWE has always had their staff's best interests in mind. It's been, a, it's been an amazing program to watch. Appreciate it, Patrick. Thank you for coming in, and I'll catch you guys on the next episode. See you.